Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to jump right into it this morning. We don't have a ton of time. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and what we're doing is really talking about the process of change, getting really practical. I think in the summertime, it's important just focus on very practical details of the Christian faith. And one of the most practical details is how do you change? I mean, how do you become more like Christ? You know, and if you look at the Bible, there's a lot of teaching in the Bible. So how do you kind of summarize that together? And so what I'm doing today is just really kind of providing a window, a picture, a simplicity of what change looks like. Now, the challenge with this message today is, is, is it was supposed to happen like two weeks ago. I preached the first half, if you may remember that. It was actually three weeks ago. It was called Unintentional Spiritual Formation, and then I got COVID. And Jonah so kindly, I mean, did a great job talking about community and growth, and Jonah jumped in for the last two weeks. And so this is the second half of a message that was like three weeks ago. So if you were here three weeks ago and you're back today, you did a good job because it's going to fit right in. But I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that message. So let's jump into the passage. It's in uh, 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. The word of the Lord. And his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, So that through them, meaning through his promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities, if these qualities are yours in increasing measure, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, would you, as you've already met us here, Lord, we just want to, as, as your disciples, as worshipers that worship you in spirit and truth, we want to acknowledge that Jesus Christ has filled this place with his presence. Father, you are on the throne and all things are under your feet. And so we take all our insecurities and our struggles, all diagnosis and challenges in life, all fears, and we know they're under the feet of our Father. And we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. So we're at the right hand of God the Father, seated, seated, seated in Jesus Christ, fully loved, fully accepted, cleansed, redeemed. And so, Father, that's where we are. So in that position, through the power of the Spirit, help us to hear your voice so that we may know you, become like you, and do what you did. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we change? Now, often the answer that most churches will give, and it's a good answer, is the first step is you have to believe the gospel. You've got to actually trust in what Jesus Christ has done, and that's true. 
You've got to be born again, as Nicodemus said, or in 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone in Christ is a new creation. Something of your old self is gone, the new has come. The Old Testament said that we've got to take out our heart of stone and God's got to give us a heart of flesh. So the first step is you've got to trust him. You've got to trust in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. And so that's true. The first thing we've got to do is to believe the gospel. And then we have to start receiving the truth of who God is and what he's done and start walking in obedience towards him. But see, many of us have believed the gospel. Many of us have trusted in him, and yet we're still, if we could admit it, we're still stuck. Maybe we're struggling with pornography and addiction. It could be that there's attitudes in us. There's thought processes maybe towards ourselves or towards others that we know God wants us to address. There could be addictions of various kinds, and yet we're stuck. And so if God changes us through the gospel and we believe that, we're a new creation, the old of God is gone, new has come, what happens when you get stuck? If you had to diagnose your life and say, okay, what really needs to change? How, how could I look at my life in a way and start saying, okay, where are the areas that change needs to take place? And see, that's where this passage in First and Second Peter comes in. So let's jump back into it, get a little foundation, and then we're going to apply this together. So if you look back at verse 3... Here's what Peter tells us. First, he's going to tell us what we have. We have three things. And he says, first, his divine power, meaning God's divine power, has granted us all things. Now, all things for what? For life with Christ and godliness. So just through faith in Christ, you have everything you need to follow Jesus. So he's saying you got it. Through God's divine nature, he's given you everything you need for your spiritual life. Now, you have to grow in it, so watch this. Through knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. The first thing we have is divine power. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead, Scripture says, is now at work in you. How many doubt that you can change? And yet, Scripture says the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now at work in you. If we don't think we can change, it's just a lack of faith. It could be we're relying more on ourselves than on the power that dwells within us. And that's what Peter's telling us. He's just telling us the truth of what God's done. His divine power is in us. Now, second, he goes on to say in verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very, here's the second thing, great promises. So his power is in us. Second, we have his promises. Third, so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So if you're following me, you have the divine nature. That's, that's a pretty big deal. You've got his power that works within you. Then you have his promises. The very DNA of Jesus is at work within you. You can think of John chapter 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You guys are branches. You've been grafted in. And so the life that I live, my blood, my DNA is flowing through you. And so I want you to stay connected to me. You have the divine nature, you have the divine power, you have divine promises. So what, what could it be that we are missing? If God's given us everything we need for life and godliness, and I, see, part of that is I need to trust him. I need to trust that's true. And so you may need to get in a community and sit next to someone and say, listen, I don't think it's true. Are you with me? If you don't acknowledge what you don't believe, you're not going to grow in your faith. And some of you just need to admit, listen, I got doubts here. And that's okay. 
Bergen Park Church is a safe place to express doubts, but you've got to get in community and say, listen, I don't think his divine power is strong enough. I don't think he's really dwelling in me. I don't believe his promises are true. And we need to be in that kind of community where we can support and pray for each other. But watch this in verse 5. Here's the next thing that's required. For this reason, because you have these things, make every, and I'd circle that next word, make every effort. God has invested into, now it's our job to take what he has invested in and to make every effort to supplement to your faith, virtue, with virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness, godliness, godliness, brotherly affection, brotherly affection, love. For if these qualities, so all the qualities he just mentioned in verses five and six, if those are yours and they're increasing, you're growing in them, they keep you from being ineffective unproductive, unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. None of us want to be ineffective and unproductive. So what is the solution? Two things. One, we need God, and God needs us. Now, God needs us in the sense that God's not going to change you as you sit on your couch watching Netflix. God's not going to just come down and kind of start changing your life. Now, God can change you through a prayer, but notice what Peter says in verse 5. Make every effort. See, if you don't make every effort to become more like Christ, you will become more like the world. It's not, a, it's not kind of like, you know, if I don't become like Christ, I'm just kind of neutral. No, you're either going to become conformed into the image of Christ, the likeness of God, or you're going to be conformed in the image or the likeness of something else. And so the question is, who or what are you becoming like? And see, there's a, there's a process I want to share with you. I shared with you two weeks ago. It's called the unintentional spiritual formation. And unintentional spiritual formation is what happens to you if you do nothing. If you just get up tomorrow and you go about your business, there are influences that are going to shape you into the likeness of something. Would you put that graph up? Unintentional spiritual formation. And there are four things. We talked about this two weeks ago that are shaping you. The first thing are the stories you believe. When you turn on the news, you're not getting information, you're getting stories. Here's how you need to see the world. Here are the good people. You know who you are. And here's all the people you need to hate. Here's the people ruining things. That's a story. What's the story of the gospel? We were all enemies of God. Is there anyone better than the next? No, we're all, we're all broken. It's not good people and bad people. I mean, really, in, in God's eyes, it's those that are apart from him and those that are with him. But see, everything you live into comes out of a story. Who am I? What is the purpose of money? What is the purpose of sex? What's the purpose of life and parenting and retirement? Those are stories. The question is, where are those stories coming from? And when you just get up tomorrow, all of those stories, they're shaping you. They're telling you what's important. They're telling you what to value. And then the next thing is your habits. You know, often what we do, right? We, we get up and get this thing, right? It's the habit. And what your habits do is you don't simply do things through your habits. Your habits do things to you. What you do does something to you. It shapes what you desire. It shapes what you believe. It shapes what you pursue. All of us have habits that every single day are shaping us. And then third, you have relationships. You become like the people you are with. 
And then finally, we have an environment we live in, the United States, Western culture, evergreen. All of those things are shaping you into the likeness or the image of something. So if you do nothing tomorrow, you are going to change. The question is, who or what am I being shaped by? And I asked you two weeks ago, would you evaluate your time? That's it. Real simple, right? Not judging your time, just saying, hey, how much time am I spending on these things? And then start looking at this graph and saying, okay, what is shaping me the most? What's changing me? What's reflecting me? And then look at your life. Look at the fruit. Scripture says, hey, watch out for the fruit of the flesh. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, envy. How's that going? A lot of envy in the room, dissensions, fractions, hatred. That's coming from the stories you believe, the habits, the relationships, and the environments you're in. And see, if we don't shift that and turn that over to counterformation to Christ, that's the fruit that's going to come out. It's not going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That doesn't come from the world. I don't know if you noticed that. I mean, I've never turned on the news and just saw a whole bunch of kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. I don't see it. I just don't. I mean, sometimes you see windows, right? That doesn't produce that. So the question is, if, if I just get up and this is what's shaping me, what do I need in my life? What needs to change? And that's where today I want to focus on intentional spiritual formation. So if you guys want to look at that and pull that slide up. And actually, here's a comparison. I don't know if you can see that, but I'll, I'll kind of pull into it. Instead of just the stories we believe, we need to replace it with the truth. Habits need to be replaced with practices. We're going to talk about that. Relationships. And Jonah did a great job last week talking about the difference between relationships and community. We have to replace community. And then finally, the Holy Spirit. So if you guys want to zoom in on that one, Brian, and pull that up, I want to talk about this for a few minutes. This is what changes us. And and let me say this as we jump into it. An hour a week isn't going to get us here. I I want you to know, as a pastor, I spend a lot of time doing this, right? So I kind of know how much time it takes to change. And I know how slow my own change process is. Sometimes I'm ashamed of that. And it's like, you're a pastor, and yet you still struggle with these things? And I know, from my standpoint, as the one who's up here teaching, an hour a week doesn't get me there. And so we're going to have to step into it. Because see, when Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't say, hey, come, let me come into your life and just kind of improve a few things, you know, kind of like an interior designer. You know, that's not bad. You guys have done well. I like it. I like what you've done here. It looks good. It's nice. But we're going to change a few things over here, and then I'm going to leave your house, and you're going to be set, all right? He doesn't come in like a financial advisor. Hey, let's change a few. He either wants all of it or none. He said, if you're going to follow me, you got to, you guys know how it goes, right? Lose your life. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I live in the body I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, listen, I want all of you. And you and me, Jesus and you, are going to be in conflict until you give it to him. I don't know if you, you're not going to out, you're not going to like overcome his desire for all of you. It's not like he's going to, well, Jason's pushed back a little bit. I think I'll back off here. No, he's going to continue to come and come and come. And some of the ways that he comes is that your life, your spiritual life is dead. It's kind of like a parent. Your kid comes to you, Dad, can I have $20 to go to the movie? Son, what am I going to ask you to do right here? We've had this conversation, haven't we? 
You know what you need to do, but see, you won't do it. Don't come and bring a request to me when I've already talked to you about these things and I'm waiting for you to trust me. And the same thing with God. Often, God's already spoken to us, but we're not listening. We're not listening. So what do we need? First thing we need is truth. We need truth. Now, we all know this passage, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Then you're going to be able to test. Now, notice test is a process. So as you get into Scripture, it's not like automatically you can figure everything out. But over time, you're going to start testing and approving what is good and perfect. Now, some churches, I think, and some Christians view themselves as a brain on a stick. Honestly, all you need is information, and information will change you. No, it won't. Information is essential because you're not being transformed into information. You're being transformed into a relationship. And the information is necessary for the relationship to grow. You with me? The transformation that God is after is relational, not informational. Which means if I'm going to be transformed through the renewing of my mind with information into a relationship with God, it also has to be into a relationship with you. Because God's expectation is to really love him. I need to love you as I love myself. And so that's actually three relationships. So the renewal of your mind as you get into scripture is so that you can do relationships better. Now, the problem is this challenge between understood or professed truth and embodied truth. So there's professed truth. Okay, we're supposed to believe this. This is the Apostles' Creed. This is our doctrinal statement. This is what we're supposed to believe. And all of us start with the Christian faith as professed truth. This is who they say God is. This is what (laughs) Jesus has done. This is who, who the Holy Spirit is. But see, there's also in your life embodied truth. Let me explain the difference. You ever done a ropes course? Anybody? No one's done one. Okay, this is really going to be a helpful illustration. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the encouragement over there. Um, Yeah. You go on a ropes course, and often what they'll do is they harness you, right? I mean, it's super. You got, and it's uncomfortable. I mean, they put you in that harness, and that's all tight. And they've got these ropes, like two people out there supporting you. When you look at it, you know it's safe. And there's a few people that went before you, too. They didn't die. They didn't die. I watched them. I watched them. They went across the thing. They didn't die. But see, once they get that harness on you and you're up there and you're on that little rope or that little piece of wood, that plank, they're like, just, just stand on top of this 40-foot telephone pole. You ever do that? That's all we want you to do. And you're kind of, you know, my, my legs are just shaking. And I know, I know, professed truth. Am I safe? Yes, professed. Embodied truth? Scared to death. I mean, I'm squealing up there. I'm scared to death because, see, there's a difference between what I understand and then what I can live out. And the only way for professed truth to become embodied is I got to trust. And on top of that pole, I actually got to start standing up, right? I got to actually stand up. I got to let my knees stop shaking. And then I got to get on this little pole that's in front of me. And I got to start walking. And, you know, the more you do that and the more you start walking... Professed truth becomes embodied truth. And then the next time you get up there, like two or three times after, you're like, yeah, I got this. You're spinning, doing a little pirouettes. I mean, you're looking at other people like, you guys are so scared. I got this. So what is that? So if you'll go back to the, that, that graph, truth has to become bottom left, practice. The only way change takes place is I have to take the truth that I'm getting and I got to actually start living it. 
See, we want the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. That's not me. That's Dallas Willard. I'm sorry. I should have said Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard says, we want the life of Jesus, but we don't want to live the lifestyle of Jesus. We want his peace. We want his trust. We want his security, his power. But see, the way that we get his life is you have to read the New Testament and the Gospels, and then you got to say, well, how did he get there? And if you guys want to throw that, those practices up on the screen, here's how he got there. What do you find that Jesus did? He prayed. Jesus went out and spent time with his father because he believed to live this life, I need to pray. Scripture reading, 10% of the New Testament that Jesus spoke was a quote from the Old Testament. When he was praying, he was often meditating on Scripture. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever, plagiarized. Totally plagiarized, guys. It's a meditation on the Ten Commandments. That's all it is. He studied the Ten Commandments. He prayed through the Ten Commandments. What came out? Through the power of the Spirit was the Sermon on the Mount. Silence and solitude. You're lonely at times for yourself. And once you get in touch with yourself, you know what happens in the Psalms? You get in touch with God. Because once you start getting in touch yourself, you start, what do I need? Oh my gosh, I need God. Silence and solitude leads you to intimacy, generosity. And this is just a few. You could put justice up there, chastity, fasting, Sabbath, community. Jesus practiced these things. And so when Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount and he looked to his disciples, here's what he said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Matthew 5, verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands, so truth, and teaches others accordingly will be least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever, and here's the key word, whoever what? Practices. What's the Christian life? Practicing the way of Jesus. Not doing the way of Jesus. Not getting the way of Jesus right. It's practicing Whoever practices and teaches, so you're passing on to somebody else, will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever, right? Well, how did he end the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. At the end of this, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Listen, I'm not expecting you to get this right. I'm not expecting prayer not to be awkward, community not to be awkward, life not to fail at times. I'm expecting you. Jesus is saying, I want all of your life, which means I want you to go into training. I want you to train in the Christian life, not to do it simply, but to train it. How many of you right now could raise your hand and say, I can do the triple bypass? Now, I know Chad, Chad, come on. You just did it, bro. Come on. Raise your hand. Chad just did it. He did 113 miles right now. And there's a few of you right now, if I said, let's go do the triple bypass, I'm not going with you, by the way, could say yes. A few of you could say yes. What would the rest of you say? You would say no. You know, for the majority of you, that's not the right answer. Now, for a few of you, it's true. Triple bypass, okay, it's not going to happen. For the majority of us, the answer is not yet. It's not no. If I gave you two years and $2 million, D 
Do you think you could do, how many of you now could probably try to do the triple bypass? And what would you do? Would you get on a bike and go do 110 miles tomorrow? No. And when you look at that list of practices, is it going to look like Jesus tomorrow? All night long? Meditating scripture, 10% of everything you say? No. How did he get there? Practice. But if I said, hey, $2 million, two years from now, triple bypass, tomorrow you're probably going to go out and do about five miles, maybe five miles, and your butt's going to be killing, your back's going to be killing, you're going to say, this is terrible, but see, I have a goal. I want to become like Christ. I want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't want hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of race. I'm tired of that, Jesus. I'm tired of that, God. And what's God going to say? Hey, practice with me. That's all. Would you come hang out with me? You know what the disciples did? They hung out with Jesus, and then Jesus sent them out. And you know what they came back and told Jesus? Man, it was a mess. Everything fell apart, Jesus, and this, this happened, and this happened. And that's prayer. Hey, I'm trying to love my kids, and my kids are yelling at me. And this marriage thing, it's not working. Practice. Go back to them. Tell them. Get into Scripture and say, okay, God, listen, I need something here today. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I need truth. And then you got to get community because you may have some stuff in your life that's just foolish and you need somebody next to you to say, listen, that's not helping you. Let me take this out for you and help you see yourself better. And now let me help you put this in. You need community because see, what's the third aspect? The third aspect of change is truth, practice, and then what? Community. Do you have Community. Do you have community? Listen, one of the things we're going to be trying to do over the next year is to build community and to grow community. If you want to be a part of a men's group, we're starting some, some beginning men's groups to try to kind of get some, a rhythm in place. If you want to be a part of that, please talk to me. I know a few of you have. Please talk to me. You need community. And in community, you need to have the kind of community where you can confess. James says, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Not forgiven. That's God. But you know where healing comes from? You got that problem? I got that problem. Are you kidding me? Admission. You got that issue? I got that issue. You know what? Acceptance. Wow. I'm not alone. Admission, acceptance, and then you know what happens? It's called attunement. We become one. Because, see, we're not, we're not trying to judge each other or compete with each other. We're trying to pursue Christ together. And I need you, and you need me, and I'm struggling, and you're struggling. Hey, let's go back to prayer. Let's go back to the practices. Let's go back to truth. I'm with you in this. I'm trying to become like Christ. You're a mess. I'm a mess. Let's go be a mess together and pursue Jesus. That's community. Because, see, community is not relationships. Community is centered on Jesus. And community is all a diversity of people coming together to pursue Christ together. But Hebrews said, as Jonah said last week, don't give up. Don't give up the practice of meeting together. Why? Because it's hard. I don't want you to see my sin. I don't want you to know how, listen, I can be a coward at times. I don't want you to see that. I don't want you to know how afraid I can become, how sinful, how much I can pursue the wrong things. I don't want to talk about that. But see, what I'm saying is, is, is I want you to think better of me more than I want Jesus. And some of us need to hear that right there. I want you to think better of me than, than I want what's going to bring healing to my life. That's enslavement. 
That's enslavement. And we need to know that we are accepted in Christ, loved in Christ, and there's nothing you can share that some other disciple hasn't gone through. We need community. And then finally, what do we need? What keeps this thing going? What's the divine power that's at work within? We need the Holy Spirit. Scripture says, if you keep in step with the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What does it mean to keep in step? It means to keep your eyes on. It's kind of like the idea of somebody saying, hey, listen, let's go over to this person's house. I'm not going to give you the directions. I want you to follow me. You ever done that? Right. I'm not going to give you the directions. It's like, why? I got GPS. Come on, just give me the directions. It's annoying. No, I want you to follow me. I want you to keep in step with me, which means I got to watch. So when the, the left signal's on, I got to get my left signal on. And when he's slowing down, I'm like, maybe it's coming up. Maybe something's coming up. That's what it means to keep in, st- keep in step with the Spirit. It means to keep your eyes on the Spirit. And what does the Spirit have its eyes on? Jesus. Why did the Spirit come? To lead you into all truth, to remind you of what Jesus said, and to say, isn't he beautiful? Isn't he amazing? Look at the gospel. The angels long to look into the gospel, and yet we're tired with it. The Holy Spirit loves to look at Jesus, and the Holy Spirit loves to take prayer, scripture, community, fasting, all of those practices, and to allow them to work into your life in a way that what you do starts doing something to you, and you start changing as you surrender yourself to God. Now listen, just like the triple bypass, it's hard. And you don't get that celebration. Chad had a celebration moment. I saw it. I'm talking about Chad a lot today because I saw his pictures. And he had a celebration moment, right? Because he trained. And see, that celebration for us is to be with God. But as we start training, those things become a little bit easier, a little bit easier. And God starts working in us, and we start becoming more and more like Christ. But it takes community, truth. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes practices. Guys, that's what we should be doing at Bergen Park Church. That's what we're about. And as we move into this next year, those are the things that we want to emphasize. We want to help you pray, get into Scripture, get into community learn to fast together, walk through life together, do families together, do meals together. And see, in that way, we believe as we practice together with the truth in community with one another, God will change us. God will change us. As we conclude this morning, we're gonna celebrate communion. And after communion, listen, some of you may be in this place where you feel like change is impossible or maybe God has kind of passed you by, I want you to know that there are gonna be people up front that want to pray with you. After the service, everyone kind of gets out of here. So if you wanna wait, Stephen's gonna be up here singing a little bit longer and you can come up front and they're gonna pray over you. And if you're in that place right now where you feel as if change can't happen or maybe you're struggling in some area, you don't even have to tell them what it is. Just say, listen, I want want to experience the power of God in my life. I wanna know true community. I want to walk with Christ in intimacy. After communion today, they're going to be up front and they want to pray for you. Don't miss that opportunity. Now, if you haven't grabbed the communion elements, let's take some time and go grab those. And then we're going to spend some time in prayer. And then we're going to celebrate communion together. So if you guys need to get up, I need to get up and grab those elements. And let's celebrate communion together. You guys were prepared, I can tell. I wasn't. Hey, let's pray. 
Father, as we, as we gather together in your presence, we approach the throne of grace. Through Jesus, who we're seated at the right hand of God the Father, through the power of the Spirit, we look into the face of our Creator, our God, the one who through Christ looks at you and says, you're my son, you're my daughter, whom I love. And with you, broken, sinful, and yet adopted, redeemed, I am well pleased. So Father, we want to take this time to confess our sins to you. confess doubt to confess Father a desire for greater faith that Jesus you died for my sins so my my sin does not hinder my fellowship with you if I have trusted in Jesus Christ it doesn't hinder that relationship. It does, it does hinder my ability to hear your voice, but it doesn't hinder the fact that I belong to you. And so, Father, we celebrate in the grace of the gospel, and yet we also celebrate in the truth that you want us to put into practice the things that you've taught us. And so on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks and he said, take and eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Let us receive it together in remembrance. <laughs> and in the same way after supper, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it represents the new covenant, the new relationship that is established in my blood. Let us receive it together in remembrance of him. 